Hi and welcome. In today's Reframe Tune-In, I am chatting to women's confidence coach Emma Clayton. Now, having worked at board level herself in the corporate world, Emma's work concentrates on supporting women to believe in themselves and their capabilities, to feel confident and empowered so that they can lead unapologetically in the workplace and have healthier boundaries around their work-life balance. Emma's work focuses on banishing imposter syndrome and elevating our sense of self-belief. Emma understands the direct relationship between body acceptance and our confidence and how that impacts our relationship with food. Having qualified as a nutrition and lifestyle coach, in addition to all her other qualifications, she has a special focus on the non-diet approach to health. Emma talks openly and candidly about her own relationship with her body and her experiences of binge eating in today's episode. So here is my chat with the ever lovely Emma. Hi Emma, thank you so much for joining us here at Reframe Club. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, So could you start by telling everyone a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking to you, Rose. So um, it's a pleasure. Um, My name's Emma Clayton. I am a career and confidence coach working with the high achieving, high performing female leaders and aspiring leaders of the corporate world. And they basically have um, this great knack of showing the world a real confident, assertive, strong facade, if you like. But on the inside, they're really struggling with a lack of confidence um imposter syndrome where they don't feel they're good enough for the success they have um and um anxiety and self-doubt and worry and all that that goes along with it so i really work with those women to really build a genuine real confidence to be fully themselves um so that they can show up be seen be heard in not just in the workplace, but in in life and really have the impact that they know they're um, here to kind of make. And what led you to doing what you do then? How did you come to be a confidence coach? So um, my journey uh, was really, I left school at 18 and like joined a corporate organization, a large global company and kind of worked my way around and up in the organization over 20 years. Um, and I did various leadership roles. It was a very technical environment. Um, I didn't go and get a degree after school and I always never, I never felt like I was clever enough in that environment. So I kind of chose that leadership route, which really fit in with my kind of natural people skills and, um, ability to inspire and motivate. And, um, I liked the operational side of things cause that I could get my teeth into stuff that the technicians weren't interested in. Um, so I kind of had this inner struggle and battle, if you like, but it's really like knowing what I know now in hindsight, it's really a complex kind of web of stuff that was going on, um, even back from when I was growing up. Um, so gymnast when I was young, um, you know, being in a leotard, I always felt like I was in a bigger body in a lineup of young gymnasts. Um, so I've, I had a very, um, I was very conscious of my um, body from a very young age. Um, then I had um, something that happened in my childhood that actually meant I turned to food to cope with it. Um, so I would spend my one pound bus money on four bars of chocolate that I used to be able to get back then and walk home and eat them on the walk home. So from the age of nine or 10, I had this real 
um, dependency on food to just kind of escape from mm. things I didn't want to know and um, things that a 10 year old shouldn't have had to know really. And then there was the bullying as a teen. The boys were the, the bullies really. And they kind of really seemed to um, hone straight in on my insecurities around my body. And they called me fat. I was Blobby Clayton. Mr. Blobby was a thing back then. Um, I was pan cracker and it was only years later that I worked out it was like the toilet pan that I would crack apparently oh. <laughs> it's like they were very novel oh. um, so yeah it was the boys that were kind of um, the worst bullies and then I had a string of bad relationships I was cheated on so it kind of um, really my self-esteem was quite low going into uh, into that work in the first place um, as a like young woman and um yeah it kind of just escalated from there and it was really um my journey was what that rock bottom moment you know when you sort of say do you know what enough is enough um that first moment for me because there's been a few um was when I was I turned 30 and was like I was my heaviest ever I was absolutely miserable um I was in Tenerife with my girlfriends and I was surrounded by so much fun and love and I felt so miserable and I was like something's got to change I cannot go through my 30s and that same kind of self-destruct mode so I was very I thought it was me doing it to me um not really realizing that it was a culmination of all these these external pressures that I'd taken on internally and then it was a process from there through my 30s really to the point where um i started to connect a lot of the dots so um i was around 34 when i went to my first therapist um because i couldn't i couldn't stick to a diet um i couldn't stick to a diet and like keep the weight off before i would be binge eating again i literally was i could binge eat for weeks on end um so I went to a therapist for that reason and she kind of connected the dots for me and said it wasn't the eating behaviours that she needed to see me for. It was the anxiety. I was really functioning at a high level with this anxiety, um, the low self-esteem and the lack of trust due to childhood trauma. So it kind of all started to fall into place and that just set off this, um, this motivation inside me to kind of still that sort of time looking for answers to kind of fix myself and um that led me to working with health coaches um and and then i got to two and a half years ago when i was actually put at risk of redundancy from my job after 20 years and i was like you know what i've i've come so far in my journey that i think it's time to go and explore something else and i just knew i wanted to go and help other women that had experienced similar mm. journeys to me and mm was still searching for those answers and um, I knew I could help them with everything that I'd learnt and and everything I've learned since then as well um, so yeah that's incredible that's an incredible story and amazing how you've kind of yeah I think the the most powerful thing is when you can begin to join the dots because we yeah. see everything in isolation don't we especially when it comes around our body image and food because we're told by all, all these external voices all the time that there's a solution you just need to do this fix. You need to do that fix. And actually, yeah. when we can begin to understand that a lot of our behaviours around food are actually a manifestation of trauma or um, an inability to process or give ourselves permission to feel or acknowledge all of that stuff that we're carrying yeah. around with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, there's something you said that um, really resonated with me when you said about um at school the boys the boys were 
particularly um, unkind and then that you worked in a very technical industry was it a predominantly male industry so I think there's I mean we could go quite deep on this right mm. but I think so corporate is a very male environment created by men for men and mm. that's just a historical thing and mm. um, when I think about my dad who I grew up with he's a very masculine dominant um guy love him dearly but he's mm. very Jekyll and Hyde very volatile in you didn't know whether you were going to get the puppy dog fun dad or the um the kind of not in a good mood stressed out um don't cross him kind of dad so I think there's there's that element and um I was very much brought up as a uh, little girl should be seen and not heard almost in jest but there was an element of underlying that was kind of what was expected of us we said our p's and q's um and you didn't kind of have you weren't encouraged to have an opinion um and then it's almost like i didn't know how to stand up to myself to those boys um it was similar with the girls the girls when i was younger i, I wasn't able to really stick up for myself um because i was never really taught that i was never really taught to expect it or how to handle that um and so you go into this workplace and um you i mean i was probably always already very masculine in my approach because i'd had to adapt to um to cope with the boys and put on that facade of i'm um, you know it's not affecting me and to not show my dad that i was uh, just wanted him to be fun and loving and not um be affected by his his bad mood so yeah i think i think it's it's sort of there's a thread of that through um upbringing and through my career for sure and i think that's probably the case for for many women yeah i agree i think it's be really it's almost like you can't talk about one without the other i think they're mm -hmm. so tightly entwined i think there's you know there's a lot of opinion around how diet culture is in part the patriarchy's way of keeping us small because you know if all of us are walking around not eating enough we're all bloody tired and we can't go and achieve what we want to achieve but i read something the other day there was a meme going around that you know memes aren't too funny isn't it but it was a an, a quote on instagram saying um diet culture keeps women looking in the mirror instead of looking outwards mm -hmm. into the world yeah. and i thought that's so true yeah yeah, completely. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, I think our um our ability to to take up space is so entwined intertwined with um our body confidence because we're told we're taught we are taught, we're taught to sound a certain way, to be very conformist, be very mm -hmm. permissive, mm -hmm. be very, you know, um modest. That's yeah. the other thing. We're taught to be modest, aren't we? And I mean that mm -hmm. must have been you know your level in the workplace how did you how did you sort of yeah I mean I, d I wasn't aware of it at the time because I, I just always took it on as my own kind of tendencies and personality trait if you like but I was I was quite open in asking and seeking feedback mm. but I was I, I wasn't interested in what I did well I was interested in how can I become better um it's like that high achieving like push push strive um bigger better like like I can always you can always be better and I think there's part of it that goes back to um perhaps not our generation necessarily but the generation before us that were perhaps um just coming through this wave of you know their their 
parents were probably encouraging girls to, you know, you can do what the boys have always done. But the, the girls in hearing that have translated that to I've got to behave like a, a boy. And therefore our parents are perhaps more in their masculine tendency because that's how they've got on and that's how we've picked up that we've got to sort of be in the world to do as the boys have always done in in years um gone by so i think there's an element of that yeah massively and also an element i think of you know our parents you know whether i remember my mum reading a book called um what was it wonder woman or superwoman you can have it all or something i remember that book being by the bed it's yeah. a very famous 80s book um but i actually think the the fallout of that is for our generation we were taught yes you can be all those things to all those people you know you can have the big career you can have as you have that but society's expectations on us didn't change you still have to look yep. a certain way. You've still got to do the washing. Have you picked the kids up? And what's the plan for dinner? You know, that's the, yep. it's actually, I think we've had it quite tough as mm. a generation. Yeah, definitely. And there's also something I've just thought as well when you're saying about um, kind of taught to play, play it small. Um, there's a interesting paradox, if you like, in that, um, part of being a, in a bigger body, for example, for me, I've always been in a bigger body since my late teens. Um, part of that does, even though you are in a bigger body, it keeps you playing small as well. I've gone off on a tap bit of a tangent. No, there, no, but, no, no, um, tell, say more, say more. It's really interesting. Because it's, it's almost like a protection because if you're not, if you're not seen as this perfect size, um, attractive, then you're, you almost go unnoticed so um there there is a protective element to gaining the weight to holding on to excess weight that keeps us playing small because we don't believe we can in this bigger body we can really meet up to society's expectations because we look this certain way and there's certain stigma attached to people in a bigger body whether that's that they're lazy or that they're greedy or, or those mm. kind of things so it does keep you small in that sense as well even though you're in a bigger body it's like it's a parad paradox if that's the right kind of um word to use no definitely so how do you feel that our um within the realms of the work you do around confidence in particular and meeting our potential how does that relationship between our bodies and our ability to take up space how does that play out how do we how do we overcome it is there, there can't oh, yeah, i don't know there's a magic formula i doubt but you know where do we where do we start where do yeah. we start so so in all the work that i've been doing on my own journey to kind of overcome this this thing as well and you know i found myself in a very different um, beast, if you like, in terms of I'm no longer in the corporate world, I'm in an entrepreneurial world where actually you are way more exposed than you ever were in the safety of a corporation. Um, you've got to be all singing, all dancing, um, a business of one. So I've continued my own inner journey to find that confidence to show up and be seen in a bigger body still. Um, 
so through that and also working with women for the last two and a half years, I have come up with a formula. Um, oh. it's, I, call, <laughs> I call it the, the real confidence code. So this is, um, this is how you find that real genuine inner confidence that's not that fake stuff, not that facade. Um, and real is an acronym for uh, rewiring your mind, embodying the change and the confidence, aligning to all that who you are, and, and actually leading from the heart. So it's a real kind of um, process that I take people through. But really the rewiring is kind of the key. This, this is the thing your listeners, your members can do um, starting from now is um, in order to rewire these programs, these thoughts, these beliefs we have about ourselves, we have to start becoming aware of them. Um, so conscious awareness um, of the thoughts that create the feelings in our body that that move us to take action or not, or those behaviours around food or whatever they are, um, we have to. They, they start with a thought, and when we can tune into that, we can really start to um, to work out a lot about what's going on and how we can then rewire it um, for for that kind of success that inner confidence um so that's really the starting point that i work with and i don't know how that resonates with um how you work in the reframe club because reframe is kind of part of that rewiring right yeah massively and you know even from you know up here considering exactly what you said you know recognizing the difference between thoughts and facts and bringing your awareness to a thought yeah. and actually almost standing outside of it oh i'm having the I'm not good enough thought or whatever it might be. Yeah. And then allowing yourself to sit with it. Where is it in my body? Where am I experiencing it? Because when we can do that, we can allow it to begin to move through us mm -hmm. rather than, I always use the analogy of being on a train platform and there, mm -hmm. there's that I'm not good enough feeling and it's coming at us like the, you know, 9.14 through Paddington mm -hmm. station. And yeah. we have a choice. We either can stand on the platform and watch it come through and it's going to ruffle our hair and leave us with a bit of smut in the eye or you jump on it and you take, that's it. You're down that very well-trodden um, goat path mm -hmm. in our head. Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, as you said about buying, it's almost like buying a pause between the stimulus and the response. Cause mm -hmm. often with the, um, in my own private practice, the clients I've worked with have, who um, tend to have a lot of emotional eating or issues around emotional eating, there tends to be, it's a knee jerk to the stimulus so the stimulus is i feel inadequate or i feel overwhelmed or it's been an accumulation of stuff over a day and the response is to reach for the food yeah. so as you say if you can yeah. practice the bringing your awareness to the thought you bring in a pause and in that pause you can ask yourself the question what is it i really need yeah and sometimes yeah, that need is you know i need a hug i need to <laughs> my mom i need to yeah. you know whatever it might be sometimes it is i need yeah. to eat it and yeah. enjoy it yeah absolutely and it's it really is a practice and this is um where there is i don't think there is necessarily a quick fix for this um it is really understanding the power of this thing in between our ears and how perhaps that those thoughts translate to how we talk so even like how we use language um sometimes the things we say if we can if we haven't heard our thoughts we can catch ourselves on what we've just said 
um, and and then that reveals a lot about what's going on in there. So it it really is a practice of becoming aware, and the more aware you become, the more aware you become. You can't ever lose that kind of awareness, and that's a fascinating thing for me. And that knowing that um, we can actually reprogram um, these these conditioned thoughts and responses in our mind to something that's more um, empowering and enabling us to meet our goals and outcomes that we want. Um, that, that's exciting for me. I can really geek out on that mm. stuff all day. Yeah, definitely. And I think we, it's almost like we don't, we don't shout about it enough, do we, actually, that as human beings, that neuroplasticity, that ability for us to make new connections and create a different go path, we can because we sort of we sort of grow up and we think well this is who i am i'm a i am a glass half empty person or we define ourselves don't we but actually looking at the science behind it you can completely change yeah. those yeah those pathways yeah and it's that um you just hit the nail on the head in terms of the um, identity piece as well right because when we say i am anything whether that's mm. i am a smoker or i'm a binge eater or i am not good enough we identify like that's showing us a real strong identity with that thing but actually when you unpick some of that stuff like i'm a binge eater well binge eating is a behavior so i'm like i binge eat occasionally but i'm not a binge eater like i'm you know something bigger something more um and like even that kind of language is really helpful for us to go for just us to be curious and inquisitive mm. around what that what's really going on at a deeper um subconscious level because it reveals so much and often we can't pick it pick that out on our own which is why we hire someone to help us mm. and that's why a coach is amazing at just listening to you and just playing back to you um, some of those things that um, maybe you have a blind spot around yeah definitely and helping you understand how much you've inherited so when you were saying I am I'm hearing you know so much of the voices that come from our childhood our parents teachers influential people who tell you that you are, you are. Yeah. and how that then plays out I mean I yeah. was always told you are the good girl you are the prize winner you are the and how that manifested in my adulthood was actually a huge need to constantly perform at this level and put massive pressure on myself. Yeah. And in my teens, that manifested as the only thing that I felt I had control over was food. Mm -hmm. yeah. So my own disordered relationship with food played out because it was the thing that I had that no one else could tell me that I, you know, it was mm -hmm. mine, yeah. my control. Yeah. So yeah, no, very much, very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. You am. You can be all sorts of things, all sorts of things. And the other, the other point you made that um I was thinking is when you said about have working with a coach, for example, and having someone listen to you. Um, I was talking to a, a listening coach the other day, and she was saying one of the most powerful things about being a good listener, having that person that you can lean into, is actually going to sit and properly listen, not sit there going, oh, how can I fix it? How can I fix it? Mm -hmm. Or hmm, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? Is that when you can verbalize it, so when you can say, if I said to you, um, well, I just feel a bit sad, and there's space there, hearing the word mm -hmm. sad is actually sometimes the first time you can actually properly acknowledge 
what you're feeling because mm. it's just being given space around it yeah. I think that's really powerful we don't yeah. we underestimate that power of having someone in our world who's just there to hold that space for us yeah yeah no judgment no like you say no trying to fix it and that's actually for, for me that's been the hardest thing with the coach because I am a, a natural solution finder um, problem solver so that was my work before so for me it's really like really understanding the value of that space holding through having my own coaching like I will always have my own coach um because I just I think it's it's almost like um your little pocket coach that can just keep you like aware like this conscious awareness that I'm talking about um it just helps build that out and um I don't think I will ever stop having it because I never want to stop um, deepening that awareness of um, what's going on inside for me, as well as being able to translate that to how I help and support others as well. So, yeah. Well, definitely. Because I think the more we can do that, the more we can um, bring that awareness, the more we align, which brings you back to your real, you know, mm -hmm. aligning with who we are. And there's something yeah. else you said about there about leading with the heart and how do you think that you know going back to what you were saying about being in the corporate world and your confidence being tied up historically by having to adopt a male kind of masculine you know the posturing i don't know if you've ever read women in power but they look at like Theresa may and um you know how she was wore a suit and hillary clinton and how they adopted male dress and male body mm. language in order to compete you know yeah. as women how do we find that confidence to lead with not to, to leave with the heart, to embrace our femininity, to embrace our physicality and not fall down that rabbit hole again of feeling, you know, like we're, being, we're exposed or we're vulnerable when we do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does take a leap of faith. It I think it takes, um, like it really can only come from really knowing who you are um, mm. and and finding some confidence like some real confidence in that and knowing that each and every one of us is unique um and also that you're not alone with some of these struggles and that a lot of people out there are also going through that internal battle and perhaps aren't necessarily getting the help for it um but certainly um it comes it comes back to a level of trust and i think when we think about diet culture in particular i was thinking about this when i was on my walk earlier diet culture has impacted our confidence in that we can't trust ourselves we don't know we don't know how to eat anymore once we've been on a diet for 20 years of our life or even 10 or 5 years and we've had to count calories or points or do this one do that one and we're so confused and it's all conflicting we've we've forgot we've lost this trust in ourselves but actually um i remember many i had evidence in my career where i was asked to make a decision and my gut response I wouldn't necessarily say my heart response but my, my gut response my gut instinct was x yet everyone else around the table needed to go away and spend three out three days on or three weeks or three months on analyzing the data all this up in their head stuff to be able to prove something before they could really say that that was the best approach um, and again you lose your confidence and and you don't necessarily trust that so much until in three months time they come back and say this is the approach we want to take and you 
you're thinking, well, that's what I told you three months ago. We could have saved you a lot of effort, you know? So it's, there is, I'm, I'm pretty sure as women, we are a lot more in tune with that than our male counterparts. There are many men out there that are quite intuitive as well. Um, and sometimes it takes us to put our neck on the line to say, um, actually, this is what I feel like. Mm. I, I am feeling this um, mm. or I am picking up on this kind of vibe. And that does put you in a vulnerable position because you don't have any data and logic to back it up. Um, and it's OK if people want to go and go around the houses, to, you know, to come up with their own answer but I think it's the more you practice and exercise that almost that heart-led response which is usually that response that comes to you in the moment rather than the one that comes to you after you've been ticking it over and mulling it over in your head for three days uh, the more you you do that the more you can start to trust it so it, it's a leap of faith there's no again there's no easy way and some environments are are harder to um harder to go there with um than others i i was fortunate in the environment i was in it was it was um a swiss culture so it was very polite very um collaborative took forever to get anywhere um they liked their data but it was certainly a lot easier to but i still didn't feel because i didn't have that inner confidence i didn't feel like i could put myself on the line with such a thing like a gut instinct um whereas I would do that very differently now I think it's a really powerful insight you've made there about how confidence because when we talk about confidence we I guess we tend to think about how we hold ourselves and how we you know all of those facade things but actually that that relationship between trust trusting ourselves and intuition is a real thing it's there for a reason it's what you know when we were sat around the campfires as cave women that instinctive protect that part of us is inbuilt you know we we are very intuitive creatures it's not the whole load of woo that's up in the sky yeah but, yeah. We've, but you know we've been taught to almost um apologize for it i think yeah. you know haven't we we've been taught to apologize for that as though it's a, a you know it's a, a foible of being a feminine creature is this yeah. you know that we feel um mm -hmm. but also that really valid point you made about um trusting our own bodies and how quickly you know, diet culture has is something we outsource to. Like we outsource to a tracker or a phone app yeah. or, you know, and, and trust that that must know better than, than we do. And actually all that does, as you say, is lead you to the point where you just don't know yourself or your body anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So practicing the art of trust, I think that's really powerful. Definitely yeah. really powerful. So, I mean, what in terms of, um, you know, the steps that you feel like someone could take away today, what are like the three things that, you know, anyone listening today could walk away and just implement that's going to benefit them today? What do you yeah. think they would be? Um, it is perhaps what feels a little less intangible but it's so easy to start doing and that is to start catching yourself so we have 60,000 plus thoughts a day it's it's thought um, by neuroscientists that's a hell of a lot of thoughts that we're not if you think about it we're not aware of um, that are running in the background so it's just tuning in to more and more of those thoughts and just getting curious as to what's come up so 
if you um you know if you're tempted to step on the scales or you're tempted to skip a breakfast or you're tempted to keep going to the fridge whatever the behavior is it's really key to start going okay what was I thinking just before that um so it's really that um the tune that act of tuning in which takes mm. very little time effort money investment other than to to like raise your awareness so that would that's my always my biggest biggest tip um the second one would be probably to um my favorite really is to set an intention every day so the first thing i do before i get out of bed is i grab my journal not my phone and i'm thinking about how do i want to feel at the end of the day and what is one thing that if i do that today then i will be closer to feeling that way so if I just want to feel calm today what is one thing that I can do it might actually be um to go for a longer dog walk um in the afternoon when the weather is meant to be sunny um and because I know I get calm from being out in nature um so it's setting a really small intention which is different to a goal it's different to I'm going only going to eat 1500 calories today or I'm I'm going to, one thing that I, I almost slipped into this week was I'm going to do 50 kettlebell swings a day, 200 step ups and 10,000 steps a day. You know, they're all kind of the, the harder goals. So a softer intention is really just if there's one thing that can help me move the needle, um, what is that? Um, so really tuning in, setting those, just one intention for the day. Um, and a third one would be to take time out of your day for some quality me time even if that's only five minutes of your day whether that's to read a book take a bubble bath take yourself off for um some quiet time in another room um pour yourself a nice cup of tea and enjoy it somewhere in the, with the sun on your face it's to really um ensure that you're getting that um real me time mm. Uh, they're they're fabulous they're fabulous ideas and I'm actually going to take away your soft intention because mm. I don't do that I don't do that and I think that's a really yeah it's a really lovely and really powerful one to think about how do I want to feel by the end of this day and what one small thing can I do to make that happen yeah. rather than I do I think I personally tend to do fall into the trap of waking up going right here's my to-do list yeah. <laughs> and thinking if I complete my to-do list then I will feel calm or relaxed but actually that's not yeah. the case so yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really powerful and I think you're right the quality time that there is windows of me time so I think it's especially as women we tend to be the predominant caregivers we take on the majority of like emotional and invisible labor so we struggle with giving ourselves permission to do that yeah even five minutes I mean I don't know about you and your clients but I've often worked with women who feel guilty they have yeah. like an, they experience guilt and I even worked with one client who w was a teacher um, worked three days a week had two days a week that she spent at home doing all you know the cleaning the food shop the all the other jobs she had two kids but she would she called them her days off so I always feel guilty because I, I you know I feel like I have to be productive all the time because these are my days off and we've reframed that as no they are the days you're not teaching mm. 
yeah. and therefore yeah. you're allowed you know you're being equally as productive and mm. you, there is you know these aren't it's not like you disappear off to the spa for 12 hours twice yeah. a week yeah. but we, exactly. I think there is something yeah. around permission there that we struggle with I think yeah. yeah you know but yes I think when we can give ourselves permission to do that we're giving ourselves permission to um nurture ourselves we value yeah. ourselves don't we we're saying we're worthy of yeah that time with the tea and the book and yeah. absolutely and it's it's the whole um airplane analogy with you know put your own oxygen mask on first because you're good to know one if you're if you if you haven't so there is that part that can appeal to the uh, the women that overgive and you know um but really it is it it is because you are worth you are worth it you are you are worthy of taking at least five minutes a day i mean i i tend to my kind of i don't have children so i i don't have that um kind of added um little ones to think about but i do take myself off around half eight in the evening and that last hour or so of the evening is my time whether that's mm. to read a book or to um like take a bath or listen to something that I've, I've been wanting to listen to all after it's just that time to switch off and um put the phone away before before bed it's it's sacred to me it's literally um so yeah it's important yeah self-care and how do you think self-care and confidence are related then um i think it's I mean it's absolutely related because I think oftentimes we busy ourselves through life and it's a way of avoiding this slowing down and stopping and just being with ourselves in our own skin with no distraction and nothing to busy ourselves and that can be incredibly confronting for some people I know it was for me um, and Yes, it can be confronting, but it doesn't have to be um, anything scary or anything like that. And I think the more you do it and the more you get comfortable being here now in your body as it is um, without needing to change a thing, then, yeah, that breeds again that inner confidence in who you are um, kind of brings you back to you. It's like that. So it is a moment in time where you're not anywhere else but here in this body right now. Um, so I think it's absolutely critical and um, related, yeah. That's Thanks, I never thought thing. about the two connected actually, so it caused me the to power, think then. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the power of, um, well, it's the power of presence, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I read, I heard a poem being read the other day by Kate Tempest and there's a line in it that just keeps playing over and over and over in my head and it is, um, let your hands know what they hold. And I thought that's such a powerful line for describing mindfulness and being present, isn't it? It's just in that moment, bring yourself right back to what I'm physically feeling yeah. here and now. Yeah, so, nice. I like that. Line. And so if you were, if you could have a billboard that the entire world could see, what would you put on it, Emma? What would you write? Put myself on it. No, <laughs> I, would, um, I, I would say stop waiting 
for one day when you finally lost the weight or you've got the promotion or you've met the one before you feel confident and happy and content with your life when life is now as we were just saying um and it's too precious it's too precious to keep waiting so um so i'm very passionate about this stopping the waiting game and um kind of pressing play on life now and getting support like you don't have to do it alone get help and support for sure 100 percent. and talking about getting help and support if any of our community wanted to reach out to you where can they find you where can they follow you yep so i'm all over social media on instagram and facebook you can find me at emmaclayton.xo and on linkedin at emmaclaytoncoach and um just thinking what else i have um i've just come out of a new freebie um not quite ready otherwise i'd be able to offer you that but if you were to follow me on any of those platforms then um you'd be able to get your hands on that okay. first they they will be okay first to the post they follow you <laughs> they'll get it which is very yes, exciting absolutely. thank you so much for your time today emma it's been hugely insightful i love talking with you and oh, likewise. thank you so much for coming over and being part of the club thank you for having me Thank you for tuning in and we hope you have taken something away from listening, perhaps one small action you can put into practice today. We would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode so pop on over to Reframe Club where you can share them, your own reflections and experiences. We would love to hear from you. As always, here at Reframe Club, we are rooting for you.